Well, good morning, Keystone. You guys surviving the heat this week? Weeks like this make me very thankful for central air. Uh, If you don't have that, I apologize, uh, because a week like this is probably a little bit more difficult. Uh, Hopefully, next week is not as hot when we have our picnic after lunch. I did just want to clarify with that. uh, That is after first and second service, not just second service. So if you come to first service, you can stick around afterwards. We'll have food set up right after first service. Uh, But if you also want to come to second service next week and hang around, you can too. It'll be after both first and second service for that picnic. Um, Weeks like this, when it's hot out, also kind of... Uh, make me think about one of my favorite childhood memories. Uh, One of my favorite memories is the fact that we grew up next to a pond uh, that my grandpa owned. Uh, Probably half of you already knew that because I think about half of Lancaster County swam in Mel Kaufman's pond at one point or skated there. Uh, But it was kind of the best of both worlds because we could swim in the pond over the summer when it got hot. And then if it got cold enough over the winter and froze over, which usually did for at least a week or so, we could then ice skate on it and play hockey. And I can remember as temperatures started to drop and kind of get to 30 degrees or below 30, uh, kind of eagerly waiting and watching, along with half the neighborhood, for that ice to freeze over and then get thick enough for us to be able to go skate on it and play hockey. Uh, I, I have... We got so much joy out of being able to skate hours after hours after hours on this pond. And then you'd have a fire kind of along the bank that you could go to to warm yourself up. Like, I have so many good memories from being able to ice skate, play hockey on that pond. But there was something really important when it came to ice skating on that pond, or any pond in general. We needed to know something before we got on there. We needed to be sure that that ice was thick enough before we stepped on there to play ice hockey or to roller skate, or not roller skate, ice skate. Uh, And if we were sure that it was thick enough, when in fact it wasn't, it would have not been good at all, right? Would have fallen through, got cold, possibly even drowned in, in that case. Not good at all. But it also wouldn't have been good if we were unsure that the ice was thick when in fact it was rock solid because we wouldn't have been able to enjoy skating on that ice at all. We would have been constantly worrying about, is it thick enough? Are we going to fall through? What's going to happen? We needed to be sure that the ice really was solid in order for us to fully enjoy being on that ice. And we might say a similar thing about the Christian life, that we need to be assured of our salvation if we want to enjoy living the Christian life. Without assurance of salvation, the Christian life will rarely be joyful because we'll kind of constantly be worrying about where our standing is with God, where our relationship is with him, feeling like we're just kind of walking on thin ice with him. I think that's part of why 1 John This letter in which John says one of his main purposes in writing to us is that our joy may be full or complete. We find that also one of his main purposes in writing to us is that we might be assured of our salvation. We see this in 
uh, 1 John 5, 13, which is not the verses we're going to be looking at this morning, but where John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, know, know that you have eternal life. Because being full of joy in God is directly connected to our assurance of our standing or relationship with God. Or we could put it this way. A confident assurance results in a steady joy. A confident assurance of salvation results in a steady joy. I wanted to just start out before we read in 1 John, which will be in chapter 3, 19 through 24, if you want to open up there. But I wanted to start out by giving a definition of assurance that I think is helpful. It's a little bit long, but I think hits at different aspects of it. This is from Donald Whitney. He says, assurance of salvation is a God-given awareness that he has accepted the death of Christ on your behalf and forgiven you of your sins. It involves confidence that God loves you, that he has chosen you, and that you will go to heaven. Assurance includes a sense of freedom from the guilt of sin, relief from the fear of judgment, and joy in your relationship with God as your father. I don't know about you, but, but I want that type of confidence every moment of my life. Like I, like I just want to live with that type of confidence. But I also know how easily doubts and fears and guilt can sneak in and kind of rattle or undermine that type of confidence and assurance. And, and I think part of why John writes 1 John 3, 19 through 24, is to increase and enable our assurance of our salvation as well as to help us know how to respond when doubts and fears and guilt and condemnation start to creep in in our lives. So we'll read this passage, and then we're going to look at four things in relation to assurance. The problem we have with assurance, the power for assurance, the product or result of assurance, and then the process of assurance. I worked really hard on getting all four of those as P's this week, so I hope you appreciate that. That's right. Uh, But let's pray and then read in 1 John 3.19. Father, we look to you because we believe what you say matters far more than anything else in this world. We believe it matters far more than what our culture says, far more than what other people say about us, far more than even what our own hearts may say about us at times. And so we want to hear from you this morning. We want to be built up and encouraged that we walk out of here continuing in a joyful confidence in you or, or having renewed a type of joyful confidence in you that leads us to be able to live the type of life that you want for us, that you've designed us for. So please speak to us by your spirit this morning, I pray. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First John three nineteen. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure, reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. We we probably already come into contact with this throughout the book of John, 
First John, that, that maybe you felt this at times as we've been preaching through this book, but, but there's a, a problem when it comes to our assurance at times, and it's this, that we focus too much on ourselves, that, that we just keep evaluating ourselves over and over again and focus too much on ourselves and, and kind of look inward to try to find some sense of assurance before God and where we stand with him. And part of that is rooted in the fact that throughout John's book, we've been getting these types of signs or evidences that can confirm that, that God really has saved us and changed us. And so we've seen this idea of obeying God or desire to obey God, of righteousness, becoming like Christ, fighting sin, loving each other as Christians, that, that all these things are kind of signs or markers of, of what God has done in saving a person, displaying that he has saved that person and changed them. And most recently, just last week in 1 John 3.14, John said, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So, so the first thing we might say under this is that our obedience can confirm assurance or it can confirm salvation. It can confirm that God has saved us. That that obedience to God, love for each other, fighting sin, confessing sin, all these things can confirm. God, God has saved me through faith in Christ, and they are, these are markers of that reality. But we might, might even just think of these things as if they're like confirmation emails from God. Right? If, I, if I sign up for some event here at Keystone or anywhere else, I'm likely to receive a confirmation email telling me that reality is true, right? So, so maybe I get an email that says, Kyle, thank you for signing up for the men's wing night at Keystone. Come hungry, prepared to enjoy yourself, and with a bottle of Tums in hand, right? You're signed up. That, that confirmation email tells me of the reality that I signed up for something, that something happened, that, that, that I'm able to go to that event. And if I have no confirmation email, then it might be a sign, well, maybe I never signed up. Our obedience, our love for one another, our fighting against sin, our pursuing becoming like Christ. These are, these are all, in some ways, confirmation emails from God that he has saved us, that he is changing us, that he is working in us, that his spirit lives within us. Right? And, and if those things are always only absent then, as we've said before in John, it should cause us to evaluate. Am I truly a Christian? Have I really put my faith in Christ to save me? Or am I just assuming, based on growing up in the church or growing up in a Christian family, that, that I'm saved when maybe I'm not? Right? If those things are always only absent. But, but here, then, is the problem, I think. That we start to evaluate ourselves, or as we evaluate ourselves, we see how imperfect our obedience is. Like we start to evaluate our love and we see, I'm not very loving. We start to evaluate how often we obey God and we, we see, man, I, I didn't obey him in this area. We start to evaluate our fight with sin and we say, man, I felt a sin there. And, and all of a sudden as we see the fact that our obedience is imperfect, it can start to rattle our assurance. That imperfect obedience can have this effect of kind of rattling our assurance. This is what John seems to be aware of in verses 19 and 20 of this passage. Right? He, he's just coming off telling us that love for other Christians in practice and deed it confirms that we are God's children. 
And, and he says this, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Kind of pointing back to that passage. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. It's, it's as if he's anticipating that we're going to look at ourselves and start to see, though there is presence of loving one another, just how imperfect and lousy we can be at loving each other sometimes. And then we're going to start to question, think, well, I didn't love that person last week, so, so am I really Christian? Man, man, I didn't love my kids and my wife very well this week. I, should I really be confident that God loves me? Man, man, I haven't obeyed God very well this time. Maybe, maybe I'm not saved. And start to rattle and undermine our insurance. But, but when that, then the temptation kind of becomes when that happens to think, I need to ratchet up my obedience, my love, what I'm doing in order to be confident before God. In other words, I need to, to try harder and be better. Then I'll be confident that I'm saved. But when that's our response what we do is immediately focus on ourselves, rely on ourselves, and think that it's something within us that saves us or assures us of our salvation. And that ultimately ends up undermining assurance in the long run. Like when we look at ourselves and we see our imperfect obedience and then we think, all right, I've got to do better if I want to be confident I'm a Christian. All we're doing in that moment is relying on ourselves rather than relying on Christ. And that will undermine any assurance in the long run because it just leads to it's about me and what I can do rather than Christ and what he's done. Here's, I think, an example or illustration that's helpful in putting that together. It it comes from a book written by Greg Gilbert on assurance. And if this is something kind of this morning that, that sticks out to you, this would be a really good book to get because it helps us to better understand assurance, and just better in general see the gospel and worship Jesus. But, but here's how he puts it. I, I'm going to paraphrase, so I'll probably butcher it, but whatever. When you're in your car, what do you do to go faster as you're driving along the road? You just stare at the speedometer, and with your mind, you kind of move that speedometer up a little bit, right? And then your car goes faster. No, no one does that. You hit the gas pedal, And then as the gas pedal increases your speed, the speedometer reacts and confirms you are going faster. Like the the speedometer is the confirmation of the reality, but the gas pedal is what increases that reality. So when when you're going 10 miles an hour and you're in a 45, you don't stare at the speedometer, you floor it. Our obedience our love for one another, our fight against sin is sort of like the speedometer. And we're prone to find ourselves staring at the speedometer and trying to increase that rather than going back to the gospel and what God has done for us, which is the gas pedal, and flooring it. Focusing on Christ and what he's done and then having the speedometer react because we're confirmed of just how much God loves us in Christ. Here's what would say for us with, with this point. Don't root your assurance, don't, don't root my assurance in how well you are behaving. Like, don't root it in how well you've done with your spiritual disciplines over the past week or month or even year. Don't, don't root it 
in how good you think you are this week or how bad you think you are this week. Don't root it in how many times you prayed a sinner's prayer. Don't root it in how great your conversion experience was whenever that happened. Because all of those things are just a way of rooting our assurance in ourselves rather than running to Christ and rooting our assurance in him and what he's done for us. Those are all just ways of fiddling with the speedometer when we should hit the gas when we're struggling with assurance. Here's how uh, Robert McShane puts it. I think it's such a good quote. So short. For every look at yourself. Sure, we should evaluate ourselves. John's calling us to that. Absolutely. But for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Because the power for assurance is this. We keep going back to the gospel. We keep going back to the gospel again, 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 day after day after day. We don't leave it behind and move on to I, but we go back again and again and again. Here's why I love what John says in verse 20 and 21. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I would guess for everyone in here, you've experienced what it's like to have your heart condemn you, to throw accusations at you, whether based in reality or in fiction. It's kind of when your heart starts to whisper to you and say things like, you're not good enough. Look at the mess you are. Look at how much sin is still in your life. Look at how little you love God and love other people. You don't know, when, when God called you to obey, you don't obey this week. Look at you. How dare you think that you could claim God's love and claim that he's actually pleased with you? Who are you kidding? That, that's what a condemning heart does. And, and if you're prone to self-criticism, a, a guilty conscience, or perfectionism, I would guess you're all the more aware of a condemning heart because it attacks more freely. This past week, uh, I was walking through Lancaster County Park, and uh, I came across this guy who was sitting outside his truck, just kind of working on his truck in the park, uh, and we just had this really short conversation, 20 seconds max, about the weather, I think, uh, and, and then kind of left it with, hey, have a good day, like, move on. Uh, 20 feet down the trail, all of a sudden it pops into my mind. Maybe I should have offered to see if there's anything I could pray for him about. And for the next 15 minutes... I spiraled down this thing of, why didn't I offer to pray for him? Why didn't I go back to pray for him? What's wrong with you, Kyle? Do you not care about people? Do you not care about people knowing Christ? Why didn't you do that? What's, what's your problem? Uh, you claim to be a Christian and a pastor at that? What? that? That's what a condemning heart does over and over and over again. It looks at our obedience or lack of obedience and says, ha, you, you think you're a Christian? Look at what a mess you are. And our tendency or our temptation when that happens is to say, I'll be better next time. Like, I'll pray for that guy next time. I'll I'll do more. I'll I'll try harder. When we should just say, my confidence is not in myself, but in Christ. My confidence is not in myself. It's in Christ. Or in the words of Jerry Bridges, which you probably heard this quote from Pastor Keith previously preach the gospel to yourself every day. 
and 100 days on the days when your heart is condemning you. I added that part. He didn't quote that. Because the gospel silences our accusing hearts. Notice what John says here. God is greater than our hearts. I I love that line. Because if he's saying what God says about you is far better, far greater, far more important than anything your accusing heart may say about you in that moment. That, that God's verdict of you always outweighs whatever your heart's verdict is of yourself in that moment. And so we preach the gospel to ourselves to silence an accusing heart. And, and here's what that might look like. When our hearts accuse us of being terrible sinners, which is true, we, we say, but God says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Like, like when our hearts accuse us and say, God, God can love you. Look at what a mess you are. We say, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When our hearts accuse us and say, you're, you're not righteous enough. You're not good enough. Are you kidding me? We say, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When our hearts condemn us in any way at all, for any reason at all, we say, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who was indeed interceding for us. Like, our accusing, condemning hearts can almost be like a bear that's on the loose somewhere it shouldn't be. You remember earlier this year, there was this bear loose in Hempfield Township, creating havoc running around in people's backyards, crossing streets, being places it shouldn't be, causing fear. What's the best way to get rid of a bear that shouldn't be someplace where it is? You shoot it with a tranquilizer. Or, or better yet, if you're not the game commission, you shoot it with a gun, right? Takes care of it really quick. The, the gospel is like a tranquilizer, or if you want to go there, a gun for our accusing hearts that we just point it and shoot at them and and silence them. It is a tranquilizer for our guilt-ridden soul, our self-critical heart, our mind that dwells on failures and imperfections. And and notice then again what John says in verse 20. When our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Why that last part? He knows everything. It's as if John's saying, God already knows whatever your heart is accusing you of. Like, that's not breaking news to him. It's not new. He already knows it. And he knows the 50 things about you that are probably worse than whatever your heart is accusing you of right now. And he already knows all of that, and he still loves you, and you're already perfect in Christ in his sight. He knows it all. There's nothing new that your heart can bring up that God doesn't already know that hasn't already been dealt with in Christ. I mean, when we have our hearts accusing us, we talk back to our hearts. We preach the gospel and then we find our confidence soaring before God because the gospel gives us confidence with God. We might look at Hebrews 10, 19 through 21. There's another place that talks about confidence and assurance of faith. And the author there says this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, 
that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you hear what the author says there? We have confidence to approach God, to be in his presence, to boldly stand there with him. Why? Because we behaved well this week? Because we were good this week? Because we loved other people? Because we didn't sin too badly? No! Because Jesus made a way, his blood, his entrance, he's our high priest. It's because of him that we ever stand before God. It's because of him that we ever have confidence before God. So the more that we focus on Christ and what he's accomplished and get our eyes off ourselves, the more our confidence starts to soar before God. If we want to live a life of joyful assurance before God, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Here's again, this is how Martin Lloyd-Jones words it, kind of similar, but a little bit different. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. Like our tendency when we lack assurance is to try harder and be better. That's not the solution. The solution is to preach Christ to our hearts. Just think, think back to the, the pond example that we started with. Sometimes when we were skating on that pond, a crack would appear. It would be a loud crack, and all of a sudden you'd see a crack in the ice. And, and my response in that moment might be, oh, no, there's a crack. I've got to fix this. I need to go get water from the creek and bring it over and fill up this crack and stay off the ice until that water freezes and then hopefully the the ice will be okay for me to get back out on it. Or I might skate over to my dad who checked the ice and say, Dad, is the ice okay? There was a crack, is the ice okay? And have him say, Kyle, this ice is a foot deep. There's no way you're falling through. Keep skating. When we see cracks in our obedience and our love and our fight against sin, the temptation is to say, I need to do something to fix those things, and then I'll have confidence. When in reality, we need to run back to God and the gospel and say, God, what do you say about me? What has Christ done for me? And hear God saying, you're secure because of what Christ has done, not because of your own obedience or lack of obedience in this area. And, And as we do that, and a joyful confidence in God starts to return and grow and silence our condemning hearts, then it actually results in a greater leaning into God and obeying him joyfully. That's what we might point out as the the product of assurance from these verses and other places, that we joyfully lean into God. Where, Where assurance is spoken of in the Bible, it's most often connected to a type of boldness before God like a type of boldness in coming before him and obeying him and responding to him. We, we could see that in the Hebrews 10 passage we read, but we can also just see it here in 1 John 3, if we read verses 21 and 22. Beloved, our heart does not condemn us. Or beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, sorry. Which it shouldn't when we run back to the gospel and trust Christ. We have confidence before God. And what's the result of that confidence? And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. What what does confidence before God, which is created by faith in the gospel, lead to? 
joyful prayer and joyful obedience. Joyful prayer and joyful obedience. This verse is not some sort of like blank check that's saying, if I obey God, he will do whatever I ask. That, that just turns God into a vending machine. Rather, it's talking about a confidence that issues forth in joyful prayer and joyful obedience where we continue to see God working in our lives in those ways. Like assurance of salvation doesn't get rid of living the Christian life and obeying God. It simply takes those things from being something we do out of guilt or kind of grinding out our duty to something we start to do out of joy. Here's how Phil Newton puts it. Without assurance, the normal ways of Christian living feel like fingernails being scraped across the chalkboard. Without assurance, it just feels like fingernails being scraped across the chalkboard. Assurance of salvation gives us the confidence with God that greases the tracks of our spiritual lives. So we pray to God with joyful confidence because we're no longer coming before God, a stingy God who we're trying to wrestle blessings out of his hand. We're coming before a father who wants to hear our needs, who loves us, who knows what's best for us, who loves when we're in his presence. And what else could give us the hope of joyful confidence to spend time with him than knowing that? I mean, I mean, just think about it for yourself. Who, who do you enjoy being with and around the most? The person who can barely tolerate you and who seems annoyed at your presence? Or the person who you know loves to be around you? That's a no-brainer. Without assurance of faith, we may still pray to God, but we've got this sneaking suspicion that he can barely tolerate us and is annoyed with us and that we've got to get him back on our side with our prayer. But with assurance of his love, our salvation, we know we're coming before the one who loves us the most, who delights in us, who pursues after us, and who calls us to make our cares known to him because he cares for us. I wonder sometimes for myself and for all of us, how much of our praying springs from a type of guilt that says, I should be praying more. When God says, what? No. Don't pray because of that. Pray because I'm a father who loves you and wants you to come before me. I'm a father who enjoys being with you. Make your requests made known to me. Don't, Don't feel like you have to wrestle something out of my hands. And then the same kind of reality applies to our obedience, that we obey God with joyful confidence. That, that obedience is not something I do to gain God's favor or love, but something I do because I'm confident in his love. W- without assurance of God's love, our obedience kind of just ends up being another effort to prove ourselves, to prove that we're good enough, to prove that we're worthy. But with assurance of God's love, our obedience ends up being something we do for our Father who's already pleased for us and is easy to please. I'm an avid fan of the uh, Great British Baking Show. You can judge me if you want to, that's okay. I'll blame it on Andrew McLean because I think he introduced me to it. And and I, I love the show for lots of reasons, but I'm fascinated with it because it seems like every season there's someone who's on there who approaches each week as if baking is a way that they have to prove that they are good enough. Like you'll actually hear contestants use that language. Like if I could just 
bake, make something that's good this week, then I'll know that I'm a good enough baker because I get the verdict of whatever the judges say. And, and it's awful. You watch these people and they're just like under this intense amount of pressure. Think, how different is that from me baking with my three-year-old son, which I'm also an avid fan of? My, my son doesn't help me bake or bake with me because he's trying to prove how good he is. At least I hope he doesn't. He, he bakes because he likes to bake with daddy. Right? Our obedience can so easily turn into I need to perform to impress God or to show that I'm good enough, to show that I'm worthy, when in fact in Christ he already approves of us, already loves us, he's easy to please. And obedience then becomes us joyfully doing that for our Father who loves us. I mean, do, do we believe God is a Father who's easy to please or a taskmaster who we must prove ourselves to? What we're believing about the gospel will determine our answer to that question. And, and then lastly, as we look at this passage from John, we might see the process of our insurance continuing on. We continue believing and loving on the heels of talking about God's commandments, John says this in verses 23 through 24. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Notice what John says God's commandments are here in this specific passage. Believe Jesus and love one another. So, so how do we continue in insurance, or assurance? Or what do we need to continue in assurance? We need Jesus, and we need other Christians. We need Jesus, and we need each other. We, we keep believing the gospel to continue in assurance. We keep resting in God's words. We keep trusting in his promises. We keep believing in Jesus and all he's done for us. And then we keep loving each other. That assurance is a community project, not an individual project. We need each other as we gather. We need each other to encourage one another, to lift up one another, to pray for one another, to care for one another, to continue on in our assurance of salvation. Let me just point out two things with that really quick. We should never underestimate the impact we can have on someone else's joy, another Christian's joy, by our encouragement of them. Like to tell someone else, here's how I see God at work in you. Here's how I see him changing you. Here's how I see him using you can have an incredible bolstering effect on that person's joy and assurance. We, we need to do that as a church. Like we all need encouragement, not, not just flattering, not just people, but like genuine. I see this in you. I see how you lead your family. I see how you love your kids. And I see God working in you in the midst of it. That can have an incredible effect on our joy. And then the second thing with this is that our tendency when we, we lack assurance, when we're starting to question, does God really love me? Am, am I really good enough? Is we lean away from the church because we think everyone else has it together. I don't. I shouldn't be around these people. When in fact what we need is to lean into the church because we desperately need each other to encourage, to love, to care for, to preach the gospel to that our assurance might continue on. And as we believe and love, we then trust God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to continue to provide the assurance that we need. I think that's why John closes this passage with, and by this we know that he abides in us, 
by the Spirit whom he has given us. The Holy Spirit is a supernatural help when it comes to our assurance, that he witnesses within us that we are God's children, that we are saved, and that we are secure in Christ. It's, it's part of what Paul is talking about, too, in Romans 8, 15 through 16, where he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The, the Holy Spirit can increase our level of assurance at any moment. And he does it as we believe the gospel, love one another, obey God. Here's another way to think about that. The Holy Spirit, in some ways, is like the volume knob on our assurance. That sometimes when we go throughout life, our assurance ebbs and flows. It just does. And sometimes that volume knob is pretty low. And we're believing and we're loving, but, but we don't have a whole lot of confidence before God. And then other times, our confidence before God is at an all-time high as we're believing and loving and obeying. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has increased our assurance as we need it for whatever we're facing in that moment. Now, that, that doesn't mean if, if we're kind of lacking assurance of God's love, we just sit around and wait for the Holy Spirit to zap us. It means we continue believing the gospel, loving one another, gathering, seeking to obey God, even imperfectly, though we will. And then we trust the Spirit to apply the assurance that we need. And it also means that when we're wrestling, like, like when the gospel is hard to believe, I don't know if you ever feel that, I feel that. When we're struggling to obey and to love one another, when, when we're wrestling with it, does God really love me? One of the things we can do is call out to the Holy Spirit and say, please help me, help me, I'm struggling here. Help me to believe the gospel. Increase my assurance, increase my confidence before God. Be because ultimately I'd say God wants us to be assured of our salvation. God wants us to be assured of our salvation. Like he gave up his son to secure our salvation and our assurance. He fills the Bible with promises to bolster our assurance. And he gives us his spirit as a witness for our assurance. Now just stop and think with me for a moment of that. The entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is aimed at your assurance as a Christian is aimed at your assurance. Like, God doesn't want us to go around doubting whether he really loves us or not. He wants us to be assured and to live with a type of joy-filled confidence that comes from that. A, a couple weeks ago, uh, we had to take my son for a surgery, relatively minor surgery, like just an hour or two long. But, but it was interesting that as we approached kind of this surgery coming, as we were at the hospital, as we were getting ready, you could see the type of kind of fear and worry building on his face because he knew something's coming. I'm not sure what. And in that moment, I was trying to do all I could to reassure him. Be all right. Uh, mommy and dad, when the surgery's over, we're going to be right back with you. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. I love you. I love you. I wanted my words ringing in my son's ears as he had to face something difficult in his life. How much more does God want his words and his promises and the gospel ringing in our ears so that we might be assured of his love no matter what comes our way? 
Yes, there's a place for self-evaluation. There's a place for figuring out, does my life truly reflect that God has saved me? And if it doesn't, and other people confirm that, then ultimately we repent and we trust in Christ. But, but for many of us, I wonder if God just wants to say, like, stop being so critical of yourself at times. Stop condemning yourself. Stop living out of guilt when I no longer condemn you, when I've already taken care of it in my son. Rest assured in Christ and live with the type of confidence that comes from him. Let's pray. Father, we look to you knowing that you love us. I mean, the gospel just proves that. It proves that. And yet we also know that as we go throughout this life, it's so easy for us to waver back and forth. We look at ourselves and and we just feel like, man, I I don't measure up here. I'm not, I don't have my act together. I can't get this together. Does, Does God really love me? And God, I pray that you would in those moments fix our eyes back on Jesus every single time and remember what you've done, your love for us, and be assured. And then that we might live with confidence before you. Pray this in Jesus' name.